you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Well, good evening. Good to see you all. Glad to be together. Uh, as always, I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to, to share messages uh, with you. Our passage today is from Matthew 21. 23 through 32, if you care about that or want to look it up. But as I was reading it this, this last week and into this week, uh, I kind of I grew a little bit more excited to walk through it. It's kind of a, a unique passage to, to get to wade through in ways maybe we haven't before. Um, it's a funny passage. So when we get to the funny part, you're allowed to laugh at it, okay? You, I hope you know when the funny part is. But if not, I'll clue you in. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to, we're going to cut to the chase. I'm going to read the passage, we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at it. So here we go, Matthew 21, 23 through 32. And you can feel free to just listen in. When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believe John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. That's the funny part. Good. All right. You're, you're on. Catching on. But what do you think about this? Jesus said. A man with two sons told the other. A man with two sons told the older boy, "Son, go out and work in the vineyard today." The son answered, "No, I won't go." But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are a God who is here with us. We thank you that you are not a God who requires us to, to do anything for you to meet us, to meet us in love, to invite us into experiencing the ways in which you, you love us, the ways in which you draw us together as community, the ways in which you reconcile us with this world and invite us to participate in bringing your kingdom, as this passage is talking about, uh, into earth as it is in heaven pray that you'd give me your words to speak this evening too, Lord, words that are, are from you and for you and make much of you. Uh, we love you so much. We thank you for this time together. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I tend to title my sermons by movements, so they have movements as I go through them, and it just helps me kind of like track where I am. And, and movement number one is Nana Nana Boo Boo Jesus. And so my initial reaction when I was reading this passage was just to, to laugh at the way Jesus was interacting with these leading priests 
uh, and, and elders, right? I, like, I actually laughed out loud as I continued to read it. And the, the whole exchange cracks me up because it's not really how we think about Jesus, right? They're like, hey, tell me, tell me your, the authority you do this. And he like creates a little game for him. And then he's like, well, then I'm not going to tell you. You didn't, you didn't answer. So too bad. And so my short summary of the passage and the parable that follows, because he actually keeps talking. There's, there's more parables after this. And he just starts calling everybody wicked farmers and it gets a little intense. But my summary of what we read today is this. Jesus plays a sneaky debate game. He says, nana, nana, boo, boo, I'm not telling you. Then he goes on to tell these leading priests and elders a couple other parables, essentially going, do you even read the scriptures? Then it turns out the whole conversation was actually a trick and he's calling them wicked. That's when those who did the initial demanding finally realized the whole exchange was a huge burn. Well, I think that's a pretty good summary. We're gonna look at it a little closer uh, and maybe with a more preacherly approach, I suppose. So here's, here's how it all begins. I think Robert Capon sets this up perfect and it's just kind of gonna give us the vision for where we're going. He says this, Jesus, for his part, tells one judgmental story after another and speaks in apocalyptic discourses. The Judean authorities, that's the leading priests and elders, as our passage told us, for theirs respond with these baited questions, trying to catch Jesus in a chargeable offense. This is the eye of the hurricane, the ominous calm that is everyone's last chance to speak before the second onslaught of the redemptive storm. Right, because where we are in the Gospel of Matthew is we're nearing the moment in which Jesus will be arrested and crucified. So these are some of the last moments, if you will. The eye of the hurricane, he calls it. So think of it like that. Welcome to the eye of the hurricane as we look at these passages. Here's go. We're going to go back to it so you can kind of follow along. Right? So Jesus returned to the temple. And when he returned there, he began teaching. And while he was teaching, these leading elders and priests came up to him and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Can you imagine the scenario, right? It'd be a pretty wild scenario. It's, like a, it's just a, a casual question in the middle of Jesus' teaching, like, where'd your authority come from and what gives you the right? And I think there's this thing where like, if somebody did that right now, we'd all be really uncomfortable. Right, if somebody stood up into that. So first of all, let's like sort that out a little bit. Uh, feel free to try, try that sometime. We'll see how it goes. Um, just when Aaron's preaching, not when I'm preaching, please. Um, but, but it's like this, this idea in, in rabbinic teaching is it is more dialogical. There is some more interaction and asking questions and like trying to move towards something together, but not typically in a fashion where Jesus is already there teaching and then the people in charge come in and start demanding what gives him the right to say or do the things he's doing. So what Matthew is really doing here, while the teaching style and approach would have been different in the temple, he's still painting the picture of this intense questioning that Jesus is experiencing right now. So you could feel a little bit of the awkwardness of that moment if you want. Right, of course, also when we're reading this, these religious and political leaders, they're not, they're not privy to all that actually we are to when we read Matthew's gospel. We already know how the story ends, right? We already know by what authority Jesus was doing these things because we've read the whole thing and we're here 2,000 years later still talking about it, right? So we're kind of ahead of this, but they're not. 
But what's interesting is that in Matthew's gospel, he ends a section in Matthew 7, which is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of famous. You might know about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And he ends that by saying all of the people were in awe at the authority with which Jesus was teaching. Well, now here we are, you know, 14 chapters later, nearing the end of Jesus's ministry on earth. And now that same authority is provoking conflict between him and the religious leaders. So it's kind of this flip. Jesus's authority is the cause like of this urgency that these leading priests and elders have. And they're like, we've got to take him down. He's disrupting what we have going. Here's again how Capen says it. He says, between the fear that Jesus will upset their political balancing act with Rome and the resentment they feel at his attacks upon themselves, right, because he's continuously calling out the religious leaders, they decide that this is to them a pretense of authority that has to be stopped. They don't think he has authority, so that's why they pose the question, by what authority are you doing these things? So that's when Jesus replied, and he was probably going... I can play this game. He goes, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, which probably seems like a cool proposition at first, right? They're like, okay, we're the leading priests and elders. We can answer your question, bumpkin, right? Like this. He goes, okay, well, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? And I just love that Jesus can play this game. He sets them up, right? They come at him. Demanding, I love that word demanding because it gives you a picture of the intensity of how this is all transpiring. And he does what, what Muhammad Ali, the boxer, called the rope-a-dope, right? And he just, like, he just like sat there on the ropes and he like took their shots, took their shots, letting them like wear themselves down. And then ultimately, right, at the end of all of this, he like delivers the final blow, like, you're all wicked farmers. I'm like, no, we didn't see it coming, right? It's a pretty funny exchange. Like in the face of their questions, he's like continuously frustrating them by being what he always was. He's always been this the moment he stepped on earth, right? This like foxy, rebellious, like I'm not going to go with the status quo kind of guy. And he refuses to answer except with questions of his own, right? We talk a lot about Jesus being somebody who asks a lot of questions, right? He never really answers anything. This is a great example of him not just replying with a question like, hey, think about this, but like literally stifling them in the moment. So the exchange goes on like this, right? He poses the question and then it says, they talked it over among themselves. And so just let your imagination do whatever it might right now. You just imagine this, right? These people show up in the temple, Jesus is teaching, they show up in the temple. They're the ones in charge, everybody knows it because they're the leading priests. And they come in and they're like, what authority? And Jesus asks this question and then they're like, all right, let's talk it over amongst ourselves. And like, I just have a picture of like a bunch of old men like gather over here, like, what are we gonna say to this? You know, like, you know, they're all like gathering around, whispering to themselves, I don't know. And then they come up with this. They go, well, I don't know how many of them there are, but there's at least a few of them. Because it says, if we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believe John was a prophet. I think it's funny that we actually have recorded that, like information of what they said, right? Like it got out that they didn't know how to handle this eventually, right? And so they finally replied to Jesus, we don't know what John the Baptist was doing. We don't know if it was from heaven, if it was from God, or if it was merely human. 
And so this is when we get to meet Nana Nana Boo Boo, Jesus. And then Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Which sounds so flippant, and it kind of is. But it also is this thing that Jesus is not afraid of what they're trying to do to him because he already knows who he is and why he is who he is and what he set out to do anyway and what he's offering the world. He's already anticipating that his life is going to end like John the Baptist's. Right at this point in the story, John the Baptist is dead. So he's anticipating, it's not just like, ha ha, I'm hanging out. It's like, I'm not afraid of what you're trying to do to me. And so that's interesting. And I just, well, that's hilarious. It's also like very common ways to approach conversations in rabbinical spaces. Let's listen to a scholar for a second. New Testament scholar Craig Keener says this. The form Jesus' debate takes in this moment follows what becomes a pretty standard rabbinic pattern. It reflects this broader way in which these conversations happen, right? A hostile question followed by a counter question followed by an omission, and then followed by a final clapback. Scholar didn't say that, but he said rejoinder, which is a word we don't know, right? So, so it is that this exchange is simply an example of Jesus' familiarity with the tricks of this type of argument. He knows how to play the game. But what's interesting is it's not just that Jesus knows how to play the game, it's the substance of the game that he's playing. There's more to it than just, look, I can play and bandy back and forth and be like, ha, got you. The substance of what Jesus is up to here is about faith. Like the word faith, it's pistis in Greek, and it means more fully like trusting with your whole heart, trusting with your whole self, faith in Jesus that way. That's what he's talking about. It's about believing that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what we're getting at. And so again, maybe a little bit of scholarly perspective to help us situate it. Some think that Jesus appeals here to John's baptism as like a, a confirmation of his own calling. But more likely, Jesus is arguing by analogy. He shares the same source of authority as John does, right? John the Baptist heard from heaven, heard from God. He was, that's why he was a prophet. And in this context, their failure to believe or have faith or to learn to trust John distinguishes them from disciples who ideally act in faith. So there's like this, who's following Jesus or who's disciples of the rabbi Jesus and who's not. And it has to do with the trust that they offer with their whole selves to go where this man goes and do what he does and learn from him. You see, because that makes sense when we kind of like try to parse that out, what's happening here. But one of the key issues is this, right? He's, is Matthew is offering us a vision of how some sort out faith in Jesus and the authority with which he spoke and lived and acted. Some call demanding him to show them more or to give them more clarity, and some have chosen to follow him based on what they saw him do. And it's really easy to just make it about some personal faith, right? Like just, just believe, and some didn't believe. But there's more to it than that. I think that maybe if you're anything like me, that's kind of what you've been given for a lot of time in your life is like, just have this personal faith. Did you pray the sinner's prayer? Or did you get out a hell free card? Did you like, what did you do? And maybe you're like evangelically passed to say, this is how you signed up. And now we know you're in and now carry on. Jesus is after something more than that. 
but something more full, more vibrant, more life-giving, more life-changing. So to follow Jesus, to have faith in Jesus, and this is why we speak this way around Kaleo, is to practice his ways. And to practice his ways, he's showing us, will most likely upset the powers that be in their balancing act of maintaining such power. They won't like that. And they'll keep demanding that you answer their questions and you adhere to the way in which they've set it up so they can maintain that position. They want to stay in the good graces of Rome. They want to stay in leadership of the church community. But it turns out Jesus says, that's a balancing act you can't keep doing if you want to follow me. Oscar Romero, who we've spent plenty of time talking about in the life of Kaleo, spoke when preaching from this very same passage in 1978 in El Salvador. He said, all those who preach justice will find themselves up against the stone wall of people who don't want to change their ways, who don't want to orient their relationships with others by the ways of justice. And still, Jesus in this engagement with these leading priests isn't finished. He played the first game, which is funny and not all at the same time now. Sorry that it didn't stay funny. But Jesus continues on. And he continues on with this question. He goes, but what do you think about this? Which I think if I was to not go on my notes, I love that question because Jesus going, but what do you think about this? It's like a question I think I hear from Jesus all the time, even if I don't always like associate it with Jesus. Like whatever it is I might be navigating in my life or the things I might be thinking through or the, the people I'm with, there's like this question that can go on in the back of that where Jesus might be like, but what do you think about this? And then he tells them some parables. We only get one parable on this particular Sunday, but it goes like this. So what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. You have to remember where the story is taking place again, right? This is all happening like at the same time. They, Jesus is teaching in the temple. They show up demanding. They fail the thought experiment, right? He throws the clap back at him. I'm not telling you, nana, nana, boo, boo. But he goes, well, what about this? And then he tells this story. Who is this story for? This story is a critique of the leadership that came at him demanding an answer to his authority question. The parable and the themes of parables that exist in the scriptures is a parable of judgment which are probably not our favorite parables, to be honest. But it is a parable of judgment. And so at the conclusion of his telling the story, Jesus asks, he goes, so which of the two obeyed his father? The first or the second son? The one who said he wouldn't go but did or the one who said he would go but didn't? They all get this one right. They say the first. The first. It was common for these Jewish parables, not just the ones that we have record of in the scriptures, but all throughout Jewish culture, that it would contrast like a positive and a negative character. Often, too, there were many parables beyond, for instance, the prodigal son that you might be familiar with that included brothers dealing with money or stuff from their father. 
And so with that in mind, right, a, a likely reading of this parable is that the, the two sons represent two different responses, faith and unfaith, faith and not faith, if you will, each of which is a response that the Jews had already made to both John the Baptist and Jesus. As they came preaching to them, some had faith and some had unfaith. There were two different groups here. So Capon points out again that Jesus is on the subject of faith in his own authority, right? That's what they're asking, by what authority that started this whole thing. Not on the subject of, as Capon says, it legalistic fine slicing, by which a no that turns into a yes can actually be construed as more meritorious work than a yes that turns out to be a no. Right, he's saying it's not about words and work. He says it's about faith and unfaith. It's this bigger thing. But don't take my word for it. This is how Jesus explains it to us. Then Jesus explained his meaning, which I wonder how long they let that story sit too how long they talked about it, how long they sorted it out, how long they shared their different insights. And then Jesus explained his meaning, which he does not always do. He says, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the leading priests and elders who came demanding that he tell them by what authority he was speaking. He says, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get in the kingdom of God before you do. Who would have been at the opposite end of any spectrum ever on the religiosity meter from the leading priests and elders? Tax collectors and prostitutes. Farthest away in that context. He goes on and he says, for John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live. But you didn't believe him while tax collectors and prostitutes did. It's like he's rubbing it in. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. That's the end. That's all we get for today. You're like, where, where do we go with that? Right? First of all, it's like pretty intense language. Jesus is telling these religious leaders that they will not experience the kingdom of God. Now, just to clarify, he's not talking about some up there heaven that they'll experience. He's like, he came to say what? The kingdom of God is now here, present among you. He's saying what I'm up to now. The liberating work of the kingdom of God, you will not get to experience unless you have faith in the Jesus who is not interested in balancing acts, who says, follow me, give me your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that kind of language. And so what do we do with this? Like looking in on it 2,000 years later. I, honestly, I think it's a tough question. Like there's an element of this parable and this exchange as a whole that at least for me caused me to like point fingers both outward and inward at the same time. Like I was like, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like coming back and forth at me. Capon says it like this again. Obviously, I love Robert Capon. If you ever want me to tell you more about him, I will. But he's just, a, yeah, he's a whimsical guy. And he says, we are resentful at being the butts of the design, divine joke of grace that says nothing matters except plain old de facto, yes, Jesus faith. Like we're like, it shouldn't be so easy 
It shouldn't be so straightforward, but it is. What he seems to be saying and what Jesus seems to be saying is just trust in Jesus and all is well. And the reality is we know that's not true. We, like, it's, there's so much that's not well. But he seems to be saying that. So the invitation that Jesus is issuing is to trust in him. But, and I think this is a big but. Thank you. Trust is not a static state of being. To trust in Jesus is not just something that sits in place. I, I trust in Jesus, done. It is, again, the way we talk about it in the life of Kaleo. It is practicing the ways of Jesus in tangible ways. To trust in Jesus is to do his will. That's what seems to be at play here in the parable. Sometimes we say, no, I won't do it, and then we go and do. And the parable says, and Jesus says, yeah, great. Just don't do the other thing and say you will and don't. Capen again causing us to wrestle with all of the grace of the good news of Jesus here because it's for who that he's talking to, the leading priests and religious leaders, right? And so, yes, we say we believe. He's saying they say they believe. But what we believe often becomes this, what Capen calls an ethico-theological construct of our own devising, a system in our heads that will make the world safe for democracy and for thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent ex-sinners like ourselves. Like it's just all cleaned up. And it's just so, oh, if you just do the right things, you'll be fine. It's complicated being people who act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. It's more of a process than sometimes a parable of judgment makes us see. But in this parable, the first son had the grace, note that word grace, to distrust his own first formulation of what was actually going on between him and his father. And Capon says he ate crow and he turned his self-regarding no of works into an other regarding yes of faith. He turned away from himself and out towards the other. That is faith in action, if you will. Trust that walks with Jesus. And for that faith, he is commended as having done the will of his father, the whole will. And yet that will was only one thing. It was believing, which is the word faith, pistis in Greek, which means a whole bunch of other things that we just sometimes translate as believing, but it's like with your entire being. He gave himself to the task and where did he go? He walked into the vineyard, his whole self went. But the second son, he seems to be keeping some sort of score. All right, he says, yes, sir, I will go. And then he doesn't go. And he's condemned, thus, the parable of judgment. He did not do the father's will. But with the two sons in view, this is where I find myself pointing both outward and inward. It's more complicated than just one way or the other, right? Inward, I am prone to be the second son many days of my life. Is a challenge often for me to receive that the Father's will for me is that I trust in Jesus, nothing more. To think that Jesus has already forgiven me, 
already reconciled me, already raised me up together with him. If I don't believe him or his Cape and whimsically writes, if we insist on walking up to the bar of judgment on our own faithless feet and arguing a case he has already dismissed, well, we will never hear the blessed silence of his uncondemnation over the internal racket of our own voice. Jesus is saying, come to me in faith, be free and go. So maybe... It's like this. Maybe we're so loved by Jesus that we are in fact already forgiven and reconciled in such a way that it feels like what it would feel like when two friends come together in an embrace. And this embrace is always and forever swinging wide to hold us. But the embrace, Jesus says, will never be forced. Like there is no coercion in Jesus just an invitation to receive the liberating love of his hug and go with him. This is to go with the Jesus who is the justice-seeking, mercy-loving, humble one who goes. And he invites us to receive him in trust, no strings attached, which I still don't even always know how to preach about or receive myself, like no strings attached. Be free today. You are loved as you are right here, forgiven, reconciled, and lifted up to be with Jesus wherever he would go. And so it's then that we might flow into the vineyard together, if you will, to overlap the parable, reveling in the making and drinking of good wine as liberated practitioners of the ways of Jesus. Think of that vineyard that the son does in fact go to when he chooses to trust Jesus and think of all of the good that can be done there together. That's where I want to go with Jesus. Because such a vineyard is, as Matthew told us in chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, this is how you should pray. That vineyard that we would go to is in line with that prayer when Jesus said, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven, the eternal vineyard, may it be so on earth as well. May we all go to that garden and revel in doing good, stewarding for the sake of all, representative of the multi-ethnic family of God, feasting together. Now, I don't know how to end this any other way. I wrestled with it a bunch, and I actually just like wrote it on there after I'd finished. Pointing outward, the other wrestle is to say, may your will be done because that's not quite it yet. Like it's okay to be able to see this is not yet as it should be. So I look outward at times and see and I find myself saying, well, yes, I want to keep looking inward to receive the grace of Jesus and walk in trust with him. I go and I need to know where we're going because some places aren't as they should be, where the liberating love of Jesus is not in full practice quite yet. So I step back into the vineyard because I'm trying to figure out what to do with this inward, outward thing that I wrestle with, that maybe you wrestle with as well. And there, like in the garden is us, is a group of people who say, let us practice the ways of Jesus 
together. So we come back into community and we seek to make the liberating love of Jesus available in our city as we all heal together. That's all I know how to do the outward thing. Instead of just pointing at it, instead of telling it to change, I only know to move there as one, continuously saying wherever we go, there's more, be free. Trust with your whole self, no strings attached. Jesus says, I'm the one, let's go and do this together. And sometimes when we wonder what it looks like, I still keep coming back to this. It looks like those of us who do justice, who love mercy and who walk humbly with our God. And there's like a dot, dot, dot at the end of all of that because the parables keep coming. So let's give Jesus the final word on all of this. Let's just take a moment, be still in the presence of Jesus. Invite Jesus to speak to you. Say, Jesus, what do you want me to know about all of this that we're talking about? What do you want me to do with all of this that we're talking about? And we'll just be still in the presence of God together. I'll pray, we'll sing, we'll receive communion. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God of, of community and relationship and community, God who is so represented by this ever-expansive, inclusive love of embrace, we just find ourselves in that love this evening. Would our lives root down into that love and what grows up out of that, would that be what we receive that we would become. Do you help us to trust you, whatever that might mean with our entire being? Do you help us to follow you as individuals, sure, into this world, but also know that we move as a, as a unified, united community of people who are reconciled to you, Jesus? that those truths seep down into our lives and inform the way in which we live in this world. May we be reminded that you are a God who walks with us, who sets us free with your love to be who you've created us to be, even as Lisa reminded us early on the way that we should go, whoever and wherever that might be. So we give this to you. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.